Support for The Trail Less Traveled comes from New West Knife Works and the Mountain Man Toy Shop, offering American-made knife art and singular tools for the kitchen and field. New West Knife Works is located in Jackson Hole, Park City, Napa Valley, and at newwestknifeworks.com. Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Mandela. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded in the forest outside of Missoula, Montana. It's a beautiful spring day. It's hot. We're sitting in the shade. And then when I say we're sitting in the shade, I'm talking about Alec Underwood, who I'm interviewing today. And Alec is originally from the southern Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. He is the federal conservation campaigns manager for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec is passionate about fly fishing, big game hunting, acoustic guitar, and woodworking. Well, I first want to say thank you so much, Alec, for taking the time to join me today on the Trail Less Traveled. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Mandela. Where did you grow up, and how is adventure a part of your childhood? Well, I grew up in the southern Adirondack Mountains of New York, and it's a special place for those listeners who've been there. Rolling uh, mountains of deciduous and coniferous trees. Then in the fall, we have the fall foliage attracts many to uh, travel there and see the different colored deciduous trees. Lots of lakes and rivers for fishing, a passion of mine, and just a special place to grow up. And it's worth noting, too, that a lot of the Adirondacks are protected areas. It's a state park, six million square acres. And I often tell people, in size comparison, you could fit Yellowstone, Glacier, Yosemite, Grand Canyons, and Great Smokies National Parks combined inside of it. So it's a huge area. And I spent most of my childhood exploring the lakes and the rivers and the mountains of the Adirondacks. Uh, So it's a special place to me, even though I uh, live far away from it now. I think a lot of people who haven't been to New York State often paint the picture that it's one large city, when in all reality it's it's totally the opposite. Uh, much of upstate and central New York is mountainous and rugged or farmlands and, and rural. And um, the Adirondacks being the mountainous region and a very special place for those who love the outdoors. Um, the communities there are small and rural and there's a true sense of community where everyone knows everyone's business, (laughs) which can be a downfall at times, but a real sense of community in small rural towns. We certainly have very harsh winters in what we call the North Country. We get lake effect snow from Lake Ontario coming over the hills and, and dumping feet of snow at a time. And so compared to the West, there's certainly similarities, but we also, have a different feel and that the Adirondacks are a very biologically diverse area. 
And in addition to our lake effect snow that can be very harsh in the winters, I remember many days as a kid having school canceled, as though, um, although our school was notorious for staying open even with 18 to 20 inches of snow falling overnight. We also had beautiful springs and what we call bug season there. One major difference that I've noticed being in the West is the lack of bugs that will try and eat you alive. And the humidity back East in our spring and summers certainly bring out some of the worst bugs uh, that will try and eat you alive. And so a harsh environment in some senses with the very cold winters and lots of snow and bugs that want to eat you. The voice you're hearing is the voice of Alec Underwood, and you're on the trail as traveled. Today we're recording just outside of Missoula in the forest. Alec is originally from the southern Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. He is the federal conservation campaigns manager for Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec has been passionate about fly fishing since he was a child. So, Alec, that's the next question I have. Tell us about your first memories of getting out and fly fishing. I think the earliest memory I ever had from fly fishing was actually not when I was fishing. I was with my dad and we were on a small stream in the high peaks region of the Adirondacks north of where we lived. And I remember he was taking small sticks and throwing them in the stream and I was watching these small brook trout, which is a a native trout species in the east. Small brook trout were coming up to try and eat the sticks. And I was fascinated by that. And I, I don't know how old I was at the time. It was one of my earliest memories. It must have been five years old. But fly fishing for my family was ingrained in me from a young age. Uh, my grandfather was an avid fly tire, also an artist who carved uh, fish carvings. And my dad was an avid fly fisherman as well. And so from a young age, I was getting off of the school bus, going to the backyard and uh, casting with a fly rod that was given to me by my grandfather and practicing every day my casts and learning everything I could about fly fishing. Both my dad and grandfather were gracious enough to bring me fly fishing to many different places and teach me about the ways of the sport. And really that instilled in me a a great passion for trout and streams and rivers and and the environment in general. You know, in addition to my grandfather being an avid fly tire, he built fly rods. He had an extensive library of fly fishing books, some of them dating back to the late 1800s. Some of the original books that were written about fishing in general that I've inherited now. In addition to that, inherited some of his stories that he wrote over the years of where he traveled the country, fly fishing different streams. Some of them have a lot of importance to me being here in Montana now. Some of his handwritten stories from the 40s of being in Montana and exploring some of the streams that I fish today. Uh, So in many ways, I've retraced his steps and my father's steps too, who has spent some time out here as well. After spending all of my childhood loving the sport of fly fishing, I decided to move west in search of 
some of the greatest and most revered trout streams in the world here with Missoula, Montana as the epicenter of trout angling. <laughs> but the fishing's terrible up here, you know, do you don't want to move up here? It is, it is, it is terrible here, yes. I should have, should have mentioned that first. <laughs> That's what I've found. <laughs> Just kidding. Everybody knows it's great. We are speaking with Alec Underwood, and you're on the trail less traveled. Alec, I was wondering if you could maybe look around and tell the listener what you're looking at. Well, we're in a small meadow on a bright, sunny, beautiful day outside of Missoula on the outskirts, sitting in a a mixed stand forest of larch trees and a small wetland nearby with some red-winged blackbirds. And just a gorgeous day, a gorgeous spring day here on the outskirts of Missoula. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded in the forest just outside of Missoula. We are surrounded by larch, ponderosa pine, Douglas fir. We're sitting in a beautiful meadow, looking down on a pond. And I'm sitting here with Alec Underwood. And he is the Federal Conservation Campaigns Manager for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec, I'd like to talk to you now about the Montana Wildlife Federation. Well, the Montana Wildlife Federation was founded in 1936. And as such, is one of the oldest sporting conservation organizations in Montana. And by sporting, I mean representing at its core the interests of hunters and anglers and their ability to harvest wild game and fish in Montana as part of their way of life. And over the 80-plus years that Montana Wildlife Federation has been in existence, they've fought very hard to sustain Montana's access to the outdoors and maintaining the public trust fish and wildlife that everyone enjoys, whether you hunt or fish or not. And I think at its core, the organization serves as a voice for the conservation of all wildlife, Uh, not just our big game species that we like to hunt with a a bow or a rifle, but our non-game species as well. And ensuring that the agencies that manage our lands and our waters as well as our fish and wildlife, are managing them in a way that's going to protect them for future generations. And so our our organization works very hard to defend those values and protect the habitat and ensure that places like Montana remain the last best place. Alec, I'd like to ask you about some of the issues that the Montana Wildlife Federation is working on currently. MWF, for short works on a lot of issues regarding habitat and wildlife, much of which is related to ensuring that we're expanding opportunities to hunt and fish and recreate on public lands in Montana, and then also ensuring that the habitat is protected. So when we look at how lands are managed, making sure that the agencies that manage those lands are doing so in a way that protects the integrity of the habitat are following the laws that are made to do that, and also ensuring that hunters and anglers and anybody who cares about fish and wildlife have the ability to weigh in on those processes. And the agencies that manage public lands in in general already are required to take into consideration public input. But certainly those agencies can stray away from that 
and try and create a situation where they're managing for other uses. And so that's where the Montana Wildlife Federation can come in and ensure that those agencies are doing so in a way that still allows the public to weigh in to those decision-making processes and their shared values of the outdoors and making sure that our, our lands are protected for future generations as well. One unique issue that we work on is uh, climate change advocacy. We are one of the only sporting organizations in Montana that has actively messaged on and tried to create advocates for climate solutions, both on the, the mitigation side and adaptation side. And certainly that work is very relevant now as we see the impacts directly of, of climate change on, on our lands and waters. I think the voices of hunters and anglers are an important demographic because they do bridge the political divide and the division that we see in our nation today. But there are a lot of hunters and anglers out there who understand the significance of and the threat of climate change and want to act upon that. And so one thing our organization has worked on quite a bit is just elevating the voices of hunters and anglers on the issue of climate change and mostly pointing towards the impacts that we're seeing here in Montana. We're seeing reduced snowpacks in our mountains, earlier runoff, which is not good for our world-renowned trout fisheries. And we're seeing longer and more intense wildfire seasons. And when we do look at the science, climate change is certainly driving those, those impacts that we're seeing. Our goal is to protect fish and wildlife and habitat and access for current and future generations. And climate change is certainly an issue that we think is important for fish and wildlife. I'm genuinely curious of how you would respond to someone stating that the climate has always changed. Well, certainly I have encountered folks who have said the climate has always changed and in many ways they are correct. Our climate is always changing and is cyclical. But I would say to them that, uh, you know, when you look at the overwhelming scientific evidence that humans have caused a change in the rate of our climate warming. And I think that when you look at the effect that humans have had on our changing climate, it's accelerated that rate. I think ultimately when you do talk to folks who may be more skeptical, finding those common values of fish and wildlife and protecting them for future generations doesn't necessarily matter if you have opinions that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. When you can agree on you want those values protected, it becomes easier to talk about solutions and what needs to happen. That's the voice of Alec Underwood, and he is the Federal Conservation Campaigns Manager for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec, let's talk a little bit about expanding opportunities. I think here in Montana, we are certainly lucky to have millions upon millions of acres of public lands to explore, um, lands that are owned by all Americans and free to go and explore when we see fit. And that being said, there are issues that we have with access and access to good opportunities to hunt and fish. 
and something that has occurred as of lately are efforts to expand opportunities to some of these federal lands that are landlocked, meaning that are surrounded by private ownership and hard to get to, hard to access. And so Montana Wildlife Federation and many other sporting organizations have endorsed different concepts on increasing access, uh, either through federal lands acquisitions or conservation easements that include a component of access. And so certainly when we're expanding access to federal lands, we're opening up those new opportunities. And so that's always been a priority for us. And in addition to that, protecting our current access. Certainly there have been attacks over the years on things such as stream access, where here in Montana, as long as you're within the high water mark of the stream, you're able to enjoy the stream and fish. And we have the strongest stream access law in the nation. And that was much due to the uh, will of the people. And I think that a lot of Montanans, I would hope most Montanans, cherish our access laws here in which we can enjoy our streams and our rivers. Alec, let's talk a little bit about protecting the integrity of habitat. Our federal lands management agencies oversee uh, the management of millions of acres in Montana. If you look at the Bureau of Land Management, I believe it's 8 million acres. And these are the areas that are providing really quality habitat for our fish and wildlife. And it just so happens it's where the vast majority of Montanans are uh, traveling to to fill their big game tags each year to fill their freezers. And those agencies at times, depending on leadership, can turn away from managing habitat in a way that benefits all people and fish and wildlife. And so when the agencies are working to protect species that are at risk, to protect recreational opportunities that exist, that's when the Montana Wildlife Federation can come in and weigh in on those land management processes and ensure that those lands are being managed to protect the habitat that's there. There's an economic argument to be made on that front in protecting habitat. Big game hunting and other outdoor recreation in our state is one of the top economic drivers next to agriculture. I believe it's $7.1 billion annually. And so if you boil it down and look at all the jobs that are dependent, hunting guides and outfitters and fishing guides, all of those jobs that are dependent on our outdoor recreation. Um, there's a case to be made for protecting the habitat as a sustainable resource. Alec, I'd like to ask you now about some species in particular that are under threat and why. And then as a follow-up, what can the listener do right now to speak up for those species that are under threat here in Montana? Well, I think I'm slightly biased towards the fish. My degree from the University of Montana was in fisheries and Fly fishing, of course, has been a center point of my life. And so when I think about species that are under threat, I, I do think about our cold water fish species that rely on cold, clean water from our western Montana mountains to survive. And the impacts that I've referenced on climate change are directly impacting those species. Bull trout is a threatened species that you can't fish for them intentionally in most parts of the state. And cutthroat trout 
similarly are a cold water trout species that depend on that cold, clean water. And uh, what we're seeing in western Montana is a decline in some of these species. As the water's warm and different non-native species start to move up the stream systems, it's affecting their, their populations. And for bull trout especially, being that they're a threatened species, uh, they've seen major declines in a lot of the tributaries that even right here surrounding Missoula, they've seen declines due to warming waters and due to these interactions with non-native species. And there also is a habitat component too. Degraded habitat has cost these populations dearly. This episode of The Trail Less Traveled is sponsored by the Missoula-based and locally grown Mountain Meadow CBD. Their hemp is grown organically and all of their products are organic as well. Mountain Meadow utilizes a living soil technique that helps ensure the symbiotic relationship between the plants, the soil, and the insects. CBD has many therapeutic benefits, including, but not limited to, anxiety, joint pain, gut health, deeper sleep, depression, and as an immune system booster. Mountain Meadow CBD is a family-owned farm with very reasonable prices due to the fact that there are no middlemen between you and your product. They offer CBD tinctures in different strengths, pain solve, lip balm, vapes, and pre-rolls. You can find out more by visiting mountainmeadowcbd.com or on Instagram at mountainmeadowcbd. Today, the trail has traveled is being recorded in the mountains just outside of Missoula. We are sitting here with Alec Underwood, and he is the Federal Conservation Campaigns Manager for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec is also passionate about fly fishing and big game hunting. Alec, I'd like to talk to you about hunters and anglers as being the original conservationist in our country. Well, I think... Hunters and anglers are, are viewed as the original conservationists because as wildlife populations, especially across the West, were diminished over time, it really was hunters who advocated for bringing them back. And through the creation of different laws that would allow for increased funding for protecting fish and wildlife, and the laws I'm referring to are the Pittman-Robertson Act and Dingle-Johnson Act, which essentially creates a excise taxes on hunting and fishing goods. Through the creation of those laws, a lot of fish and wildlife populations have, have seen recoveries. And when you look at uh, certain species, such as white-tailed deer or elk or turkey nationwide, a lot of those populations were, were highly diminished and have now made huge rebounds to where um, in most states, you have opportunities to go out and harvest them for food. And so in many ways, it was hunters and, and anglers who uh, came to the table advocating for those changes and for the recovery of those species. And nowadays, those laws that were created uh, still fund our state wildlife management agencies through those federal excise taxes. And... It's vitally important for the conservation of many species. Our wildlife management agencies in each state 
have the extremely difficult task of managing fish and wildlife populations and ensuring that uh, they're protected and ensuring that the needs of the public are also met. And hunters and anglers are often the biggest part of those decisions on how those populations are managed. Alec, let's talk about the phenomenal practice of the harvest from field to table. I think hunters and anglers have a deep connection to the landscapes in which they pursue our game and our fish. And I think that's because they inherently care about them and maintaining the opportunities to pursue them. And for me personally, hunting and fishing has always been a way for me to connect to the landscape. When growing up, I fished quite a bit, but hunting wasn't as much a presence in my life growing up. And when I came to the West and started college at the University of Montana, I was immersed in in a world that was driven by trying to fill your freezer with quality organic meat from the mountains. And I I cut my teeth in the mountains of Southwest Montana elk hunting with a bow and arrow. And it really is a special experience to be close to uh, the game or the fish that you're pursuing to try and feed yourself. And I think 95% of the protein in my diet now comes from elk and deer that I harvest every year and and some of the fish that I catch. And it really is a special connection and a a direct connection to the land when you uh, go out there and try and catch those fish or or fill the freezer. Now, Alec, you are a big game hunter. And from one thing I've realized after just getting back from fishing camp last night and spending the whole weekend around the fire or in the drift boat with my friends is that there sure are a lot of good hunting and fishing stories out there and you know sometimes it makes it so that we only end up getting on the river late in the morning because we spent most of the morning talking about our hunting and fishing stories so I know you have many but I was wondering if you could tell us a good hunting story and I hear you've got a good story about that time you lost your boots you tell us about that (laughs) it is a good story Uh, one that I would not relive. Elk hunting in Montana is a tough endeavor and you have to know your limits physically, um, especially when hunting alone. And and I prefer to hunt elk with a bow and arrow when uh, the elk are bugling and and during the rut and they're very vocal in mid to late September. And in the fall of 2015, it was the year after I had harvested my first bull elk with a bow, I had uh, gone on a solo adventure after a few days of hunting with friends. I decided to go out again. And what you have to keep in mind anytime that you're alone is when you do harvest an elk, you have to get it out of the woods. And for many of us who hunt on public lands, mostly forest service land, you have to know your limits and know how to get it out of the woods And in in early September, when this was, when it's fairly hot, 80 degrees on this particular day, it it gets tough logistically once you have an elk on the ground to get it out of the woods. And on that fateful morning, I uh, stalked in and and called in a bull elk and shot it uh, with my bow. And obviously the goal being to have the animal expire as soon as possible in an ethical way. 
the animal had gone and, and bedded down and had not expired. And a lot happens in those 20 seconds when the animal is coming in. But ultimately, the ethical side of hunting weighs on you to try and have that animal harvested as quickly and, and humanely as possible. And so seeing that the animal had had laid down but was not yet expired, I stalked up and around to try and get another shot. And in doing so, to stay quiet and not alert the bull elk that I was there, I took off my hunting boots to try and be quiet uh, with only your socks on. And it worked, and I stalked about 80 yards up the hill on the edge of a recent burn where the grass was high and took another shot and the, uh, the bull elk then uh, expired fairly quickly. And I went down to check and make sure and I uh, was obviously very excited for making a successful harvest, but then what they say with elk hunting is the hard work begins when, when you've made your harvest and then you have to get out of the woods. So I went back up the ridge to look for my boots and it proved very difficult and as I mentioned, 80 degrees that day, the top worry in the back of your mind is getting the meat cool and figuring out how to transport hundreds of pounds of meat out of the woods. <laughs> and on this particular bull elk, which wasn't huge, I still had my work cut out for me being alone and I could not find my boots. So I made the difficult decision to start processing the elk and getting the hide off and taking the first two quarters, two and a half miles out to the truck in my socks. And it was a painful endeavor that I'll never forget. Uh, but I was lucky enough to call my friends from the truck and they came to meet me to help me go back in and carry the other loads. But walking on the forest floor with just socks was uh, in a, about a hundred pounds on my back was not a fun endeavor. <laughs> and uh, luckily was able to get all the meat out safely, um, even though it was a hot day. But we went back the final time to get the last load of meat and we looked for those boots and never did find them. And somehow I had a pair of running shoes in the truck, so I survived the day but never found the boots. <laughs> I love it. I just took out my spare running shoes out of my rig yesterday, so I think I'm going to put them back in there. Always yeah, you good should. <laughs> Always good to have a spare pair of shoes in your rig. Which brings me on to tips, any advice that you might have. So, Alec, can you share with us three bits of advice? Well, I don't know if I'm one to give advice, but if I had any, um, my number one would be you'll never regret going. And I think what I mean by that is that... Uh, I've been lucky enough in my life to be invited on many great adventures throughout my time in the West and even, even prior to that. And I've never regretted going on those adventures, even when there are plenty of other things in life that can distract you from those adventures. Um, I've never regretted saying yes and just going. Um, so that would be my first advice. Uh, the next would be Prioritize your relationships with others, uh, family and friends and, and loved ones. I think that uh, I think we live in a world with many distractions, and the more that you can prioritize those relationships, uh, your life will be a lot more fulfilling. And then thirdly, I would say don't forget to 
develop your connection to the landscape and to the natural world. A lot of what I've read about current generations growing up are having a lot less opportunity um, to be outdoors and to learn about the natural world. And I think that there's plenty of distractors in life, like I've mentioned, that can affect that. And so I think that for anybody listening to prioritize your time outdoors and your knowledge of the landscape and your connection to the landscape, you will be happier. Awesome. Alec, and if someone listening wants to find out more about the Montana Wildlife Federation and your work? We're always looking for advocates for our fish and wildlife, and you can find more information at www.montanawildlife.org. Awesome. I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me today on the trail less traveled. Thank you for having me. Namaste, Missoula, and my friends around the world. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. I'd like to thank you so much for listening, and specifically, I'd love to thank the guest for this evening's show, Alec Underwood of the Montana Wildlife Federation. Alec is a phenomenal advocate for wildlife, their habitat, and he works tirelessly to fight to protect them. The Trail Less Traveled is the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. This has been episode 451, I believe. So I'd like to thank you, the listener, for your support. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on all platforms, including Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon. The show premieres every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time, and you can stream it online at trail1033.com. Again, if you missed the premiere, make sure to tune in to the podcast, which is available ad-free if you support the show on Patreon. The funds for support on Patreon go to our international outreach programs, getting into schools and inspiring children of all ages to care about the planet, diversity, culture, music, the arts, and life in general. If you enjoy the show, I encourage you to get in touch. You can contact me via the official website, which is traillesstraveled.net. It's an awesome website built by Hannah Honey, and I recommend you check it out. My adventure tip this week involves making a portable fire for river trips. Take an ammo can, one of the smaller ones, fill it with cardboard, pour wax on top of the cardboard, let it saturate, and make sure when lighting that you are in an area, ideally a beach, where you're not going to start any forest fires. But it's a great way to entertain your family, your friends, or your guests if you're a guide. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, you know what to do. Get outside. Do something for Mother Earth. And shred the gnar. Because as you know, the thing about the gnar is it does not shred itself. Hello there. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. And I wanted to thank our sponsor, 
New West Knife Works. When you love the tools you use, everyday chores become a joy. A finely crafted knife is an extension of the hand that welds it. That's the motivating idea behind New West Knife Works founder, Corey Milligan. Milligan moved to Jackson Hole to pursue the good life in his early 20s. To earn a living while enjoying the outdoors, he worked as a line cook in local restaurants. His interest in cutlery came from the desire to make a knife that would better express his love of cooking. New West Knife Works was born out of that passion, a passion which continues to keep the company on the cutting edge. All of New West Knife Works culinary, hunting, and recreational knives are made in the Tetons with the finest American steel and tested by the professional chefs, guides, anglers, and hunters of Jackson Hole. From the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to Bon Appetit and Forbes, top tastemakers appreciate cutlery that is as beautiful as it is useful. Visit newwestknifeworks.com.